Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a tremendous interview for all of you listeners today, as I am joined by one of the hottest rising head coaches in all of the Division I men's college tennis universe. Of course, I'm alluding to Penn men's tennis head coach, Rich Bonfiglio, who joins us on the podcast today to discuss all aspects of his life within the game of tennis. Of course, Rich was not only a former collegiate player, but he's had so much success at so many different coaching stops along the way, whether it was his time coaching D3 tennis, his time coaching at Trinity as a grad student, his time as an assistant at San Diego, Columbia, USC most recently. Rich has had a lot of success at a bunch of different stops, and I wanted to pick his brain and ask what he believes are the reasons for the success he has achieved throughout his coaching career thus far. I, of course, also wanted to talk about what it's like to take on the head coaching responsibilities for the first time as he has done this season at Panama. Wanted to talk about the rise of this Penn men's tennis program, the rise of Ivy League tennis more broadly as well. Pick his brain about the future of college tennis and so much more. Simply put, phenomenal, fantastic, compelling interview. I am certain all of you Cracked Rackets fans are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to that interview, I want to let all of you listeners know about the support we get from our friends at Turner. Look, Turna is synonymous with just about every grip every tennis player imagines on the racket of a player. We can all identify that iconic blue grip that you do see employed by so many different professionals, so many different collegiate players, so many different tennis players throughout the tennis playing universe. And why do they do that? It's because Turner grips, simply put, are the best in the business. And the best possible news for tennis fans, yeah, the Turner grip was good enough as is, yet they continue to develop latest and greatest innovation to ensure Turner continues to get better. That latest innovation, their newest grip, is called Turner Tough. Simply put, still gets tackier as you sweat, still has that iconically trademarked blue color, and it's just that much better. I promise, folks. So go ahead, try that Turner Tough today. Just make sure you're using Turner Grip. Simply put, using any other grip would be a mistake. There's a reason Turner has asserted itself as the defining brand as it relates to all sorts of tennis grips. You can find out why today by making the switch. Of course, you can find Turner Grips wherever you buy your tennis supplies, but make sure you try their new Turner Tough as well as I guarantee you won't be disappointed with the results. Turner proud sponsor of this Cracked Interviews podcast and a product. It's easy for us to endorse, as we know how successful you can be with a Turner grip on your racket. You know what else we know is successful? A team led by Coach Rich Bonfiglio, and that's why we are so excited to have him on the show today, and that is why I am so excited to share this podcast conversation with all of you listeners. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here is my talk with the one and only Penn Men's Tennis Head Coach, Rich Bonfiglio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man I have grown quite fond of as I have had the chance to see him experience success at every one of his stops along his coaching tour. Now, let's be clear. This guy has gotten around. He's coached at a bunch of stops across the college tennis universe. But of course, now we know him as the head coach of the University of Pennsylvania men's tennis team. Welcome onto our show, Rich Bonfiglio. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Been a uh, been a long time listener, so uh, happy to be finally be aboard on you know here with you. Thanks so uh, much. It is it is a pleasure to have you. Yeah, we've been hovering around each other for a while now. <laughs> this podcast was a long time coming, and look, there are a lot of different places I would like to go throughout the course of today's conversation. But I think first and foremost, you are now a head coach at the University of Penn, and I know uh, that was not something maybe you were expecting as recently as like September or October sure. or November of last year. What has this four and a half or four month rush been like for you personally? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, first off, it's exciting. You know, I mean, it's one of those things, right? You're kind of things are moving on the go. But, you know, that's always been a goal of mine is to, you know, be a head coach division one level at a high level program. Obviously, I was I was fortunate enough to uh, be given the opportunity mid-year, be it. Um, You know, maybe I don't get it if it's mid-year. You never know. So sometimes you got to be. Um, you know, got to be ready to kind of take the call when it comes, you know, opportunities when they present themselves. So, um, no, it's been, it's been exciting. There's definitely been a learning curve, no doubt about it. Um, you know, in the beginning I was kind of, I was going, you know, the first month or so without an assistant. And, uh, you know, that was definitely, uh, one of those things I thought maybe, okay, maybe I can make it through the spring. And then a couple (laughs) weeks in, I was like, no way I got to get someone up here. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to get, UVA's volunteer state in Stratton Gilmore. And, you know, he's been awesome for me. He's helped me take a ton of things off my plate. So I'm super pumped to have him on board. But yeah, it's been it's it's, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. But, you know, I think uh, kind of steadied the ship now, so to speak, here after, you know, kind of going through a little bit of a rut mid-year. And, you know, we're excited, you know, going into the uh, last part of the Ivy season here. No, absolutely. It's been such a joy for me to follow what you guys have done throughout the course of the year. And if you have listened to our weekly recaps of the Division One men's college tennis world, I think I drop one pen update like every three minutes because yeah. I am invested <laughs> in your career. I'm invested in just seeing, again, the growth. You go, obviously, from the Division Three world as a player to the Division Three world as a coach and all through these different steps on your coaching journey. But you mentioned it, and we were texting about this yesterday. That first month being assistantless, being alone in the wild there. I I mean, again, I'm sure it's a little traumatic for you to relive, but what is that first month like for you on the job? Because, you know, on court, we joked about this yesterday in our text. I swear to God, you guys were like three points away from beating South Carolina in the kickoff weekend. (laughs) And like the tennis itself didn't seem to be that big of a problem, but I'm curious what that first month is like. Yeah, you know, listen, it's like I said, it's a little bit of a transition period. And, you know, I have to thank the uh, the seniors on this team. There's a group of five guys, uh, Zach Smith, Eduardo Graziani, Kevin Zhu, Gupta, and Harsh Parikh. And, you know, listen, four of those guys are in the top four positions for us in singles, and they're all in doubles. And, um, you know, listen, when those guys bought into me, um, you know, my philosophies as a coach and, and you know, everyone's kind of looking up to them. They helped me kind of get my, you know, feet under me, so to speak, Um, you know, and they made my transition so much easier. 
Um, so I got to give a lot of credit to those guys to kind of help in helping me kind of stabilize the ship here. Obviously, you know, going through a coaching change mid year is, is not ideal, but, you know, definitely having that senior leadership and, and coming off one of the better years in uh, Penn tennis history kind of, I think helped steady the water, so to speak. And I think it kind of helped us get off on a, on a good start and, um, you know, just kind of build the foundation here. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, a little bit different, you know, right. Like the way that I'm coaching versus maybe the way that things have been done in the past, there's a little bit of a, a transitionary period and, you know, credit to the guys, uh, you know, we went through a rough patch there in the middle where we were, we were five and seven and, you know, that you have two roads you can go down, you can go down the one where we're kind of mailing it in, or we can kind of make that last push. And, you know, we've, we've won, you know, seven of our last eight matches. And I have to credit the guys for uh, believing in me and my assistant Stratton and, and, you know, now we're, you know, we're, we're playing for something meaningful come the last weekend. And at the end of the day, as a coach, you just want, you just want your players to give themselves opportunities and, you know, flip that coin and see, hopefully it bounces our way. Well, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about the seniors. And, you know, I, I've mentioned this in the past on pods. My younger brother is a student at Penn right now. And like, ask him to do five minutes on Graziani. You'll have fun. You'll be entertained. <laughs> I promise. Um, but yeah, that runs in the family. Ability to talk fun about, about tennis. That's, that's a Gruskin uh, trait that permeates us all. But you talk about having senior leaders. I am curious for you, the buy-in you've gotten from them. How critical has that been? And, you know, in that sense, not not that you haven't been coaching, but how much have you leaned on them to help you get acclimated and get up to speed? Yeah, no, like I said, I, I've leaned on them a ton. And, you know, to be fair, I, I feel like no matter whether you're regarded as a great coach or not, I think when when you come into a new program and whether you're an assistant or, you know, now me in this new role as a head coach, you got to earn your stripes. You know what I mean? You know, it doesn't matter if you're saying the right thing, the wrong thing. I think a lot of times you, you kind of have to earn the trust of those players, whether it's individually or as a collective group. And, you know, that's something that when I've gone from program to program, and especially here, I was conscious of, and, you know, with different guys, there's different ways of building that trust, but I think you have to earn that trust. You can't just come in shouting orders and, (laughs) you know, you know, all of a sudden everyone's kind of checking out. So, um, you know, I, you know, me and my assistant definitely pay attention to that. And we've leaned on them about, you know, what's kind of worked for them in the past, what's kind of gotten them out of ruts, um, you know, how they like to be coached individually as a team. So I've definitely leaned on them a ton, but I think, um, you know, I th- think I've gained their trust. My assistant has gained their trust more. And I think to be fair, guys have earned our trust more to kind of be given a little bit more rope in certain math situations that I may have been, uh, running over or catching the ball before letting them go up and uh, serve one at the, up at the line. <laughs> no, I love to hear that. And, you know, as someone who, for those that don't know, you were an assistant at Columbia prior to obviously headed over to USC. So Ivy League tennis is something you're familiar with. I also think it's worth noting, you know, you've coached at some of the best D3 schools as well. You've been at Amherst. You've seen, you know, high level success at schools that have academic priorities that come first. And the reason I bring that up is, you know, you're at USC. You knew it at the time prior to getting the job that Lerner Tien's around the corner. And it's a really good gig there with you and Coach Macy. What was it about this Penn job that, you know, again, made you say, you know what, I am ready to take this plunge. I am ready to become a head coach. And, you know, what was it about Ivy League tennis that appeals to you? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I think, I think the hardest part, anytime you're, you're going from one job to the, to the next, especially, 
you know, it's happened to me uh, mid-year a couple times. That's kind of how I got my start in Division One. to be fair. You know, uh, Coach Keckley gave me a chance from his relationship with uh, Coach Dobler at Amherst and kind of, you know, gave me a shot of getting in there. So, you know, I was fortunate enough mid-year. I've made the mid-year move three times, you know, yeah. so this is a little bit of, uh, you know, common ground for me, whether whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think the hardest part for me was, you know, leaving Coach Macy and and leaving those players and, you know, a guy like Lerner who I spent a lot of time recruiting and, and building that relationship with. Um, but it's the same thing I said to players at, at Columbia when I left. Like, yes, you know, you were – I was part of the reason you came here. But, listen, like – these are great institutions. These are great schools. The head coaches that you're, you know, I'm leaving you with, they're, you know, they're some of the best in the business. Like you made the right decision picking the school that you chose to come here for. And um, I think you're seeing it at USC. I think you're seeing it at Columbia. Even the guys over at San Diego that I left, I mean, they, you know, they ended up cracking the top 20 and we ended up facing off against them when I was at USC. So, you know, a lot of times I think that that's the hardest thing is, is, you know, leaving those relationships that you've built and, you know, those players are invested in you, you're invested in them. Um, you know, so that was the hardest part for me, um, you know, having those conversations, um, you know, and to be fair, each of the head coaches that I worked for in each of those situations were awesome about it. You know, it's a tough conversation to have, um, but to be fair, they, they were always supportive of what's best for me and my career, you know, the same way that they said, look, when they were kind of, working their way up, you know, they had mentors that, uh, did the same for them, you know, so I was fortunate enough to be able to have those conversations without, um, you know, having to sugarcoat things or feel like I need to hide things. Um, but those were the, the relationships are always the toughest part, but, you know, I look at a place like Penn, an amazing, amazing academic institution. Um, you know, I think internally you look at a lot of the sports here, they put a lot of investment, you know, administratively, they, they want to see you do well. Um, and, you know, I think, look, I had some, some friends that played here in the past when I was growing up in juniors, you know, they reached out to me about it. Um, and listen, there's only eight of these jobs, right. You know, here in the Ivy league, you know, and you know, it's, it's a special place. Um, you know, I kind of just looked around, I was like, man, like I, I could see myself there. And, you know, I came on, I came on the visit to interview and I, I hadn't been here since I like visited when I was a junior and I was like, man, this place is pretty cool. Um, you know, I knew, I knew Eduardo and some of the other players I was trying to recruit Graziani as a fifth year. So I had built a pretty good relationship with him at USC. Um, and I just felt like, you know, look, I, you know, I'd had, I'd had success under, under Howie at Columbia. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of similarities in the, in the schools, in the programs, um, between Columbia and Penn. And you know what? I was like, listen, like, I, I think we could do it here. I think I can build a successful program. Now, listen, you know, got to have some people like my assistant and my administration go out on a limb with me, a first time head coach. But I feel like I know what it takes to be successful in the Ivy League. Um, I feel like I've done a good job where I've been wherever it is across, whether it's Division three, um, WCC, you know, you know, power five or everything. Ivy have been able to identify some good players and convince them to take a chance and come play for me. So, you know, I, I feel like. It may take us a little bit of time, but, you know, I'm confident in, you know, myself and, and my staff and my administration that we can build a good program here. Well, I, I've said it on our other shows. I think you're one of the best salesmen, one of the best recruiters we have in all of college tennis right now. And quick tangent, do you submit a form with the NCAA just to see if Jared Donaldson can get eligible? Because I know he's lingering. <laughs> Are you just like, let's see if we can get him like three matches? 
that's one of those, you know, me and my assistant were joking. Maybe we just submit him with the middle name and the last name. And we, you know, we, just, we just, we just sneak him in here this weekend for the final Ivy weekend and be like, yeah, I don't know. He just, you know, he came out as a walk on this week and he was just cleaning up everybody at practice. We figured we'd give him a shot. Yeah. You know, that'd be great. And, uh, what, uh, Sonam Singh comes up to you, goes, you know, that guy kind of looks like Jared Donaldson. You're like, I know, right? Like they look a lot alike. Crazy really resemblance. Weird. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, but his forehand's terrible. Like it's nothing like Jared's, uh, but exactly. no, I mean the, again, you get into the Ivy leagues and to your point, you, you've had, you know, you've, you've recruited at Columbia where you guys were able to line up a bunch of top five classes. You've been able to go find an August Holmgren and been able to convince him that San Diego and college tennis is the place for him. You then, of course, have the opportunity to recruit at USC as well. In all of those roles, you were the assistant. And I'm sure it's sure. there's a little, I don't know, less pressure. I'm sure you get to be a little bit more loose as that assistant coach. How does that pitch change now that you're the head coach at Penn? Does it change at all? And, you know, is recruiting the first thing you're focused on as you look to build this program? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, to be fair, I think, you know, outside of, you know, this season, I I do think that the the number one priority has to be recruiting. Mm -hmm. I think the lifeblood of any good program is recruiting. I think, you know, if anyone's saying differently at, I think they're either, I think they're either lying or they're, they they got some secret that I don't know about. Um, but I, I think number one has to be recruiting just because, like I said, we are losing five seniors, you know, a senior laden class that is, um, you know, at two, this year and last year had two of the best years, probably in the last 20 years of, of Penn tennis. So I think first and foremost, you, you know, you can be the greatest coaches in the world. It helps to have the talent though. You know, it, it makes it a little bit easier to have the talent. Um, you know, my, my assistant is helping me recruit as well. I think right now, just coming in, I think for me taking the lead as the, uh, in the recruiting process probably is kind of my role right now as a first time head coach and coming in as that transition. I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was always maybe the lead recruiter as the assistant, but you know, parents are checking in, coaches, kids, they're looking for that stability at the top. So, you know, without Brett Macy, without Ryan Keckby, without Howard Endelman, without Todd Dobler, you know, none of those, none of those places or people are committing to just me. They're, they're also signing up at the end of the day, the final, final push may, may, may you call it is coming from the head coach to provide that stability. You know, they're sending off, you know, they're, they're 17, 18 year old with you as a, as a second father or parent, you know, for the next four years of their lives and impacting what would be, you know, the next 40, 50 years of your life. So I think at least initially I'm going to be, you know, kind of leading in that role. Um, but I'm sure like, like anything else, you know, and I've learned quickly here, you gotta be, you gotta learn to kind of distribute responsibility and let go of some of those things that maybe you've done in the past because otherwise you get spread too thin. And I think that's why it's so important to have a great assistant like Stratton. You know, we've gotten help from Jared Donaldson as the volunteer because you can't do it all yourself. You know, that's, that's one of those things I kind of learned early on in this, this transition period. It's, there's a lot of responsibilities. You need to have good support around you. And I've been fortunate enough to bring on some good people. And my administration has been incredibly supportive of me here at Penn. So, you know, I've been fortunate in that regard. Well, to be blunt, what's been the toughest thing to let go? Yeah, I think I think uh, toughest thing to let go is just I think just kind of removing myself from the guys a little bit. You know that sure. you know, we talked yeah. about in that assistant role. I think you know you can be a little bit more uh, happy, go lucky. You know you're 
you're, you know, especially being that I'm, I'm one of the younger head coaches. Um, you know, I think just, um, I'm not as young as I once was when I was over at San Diego, I was probably closer to the, you know, the player's age rather than, you know, some of the head coaches age. So, you know, I think just, just establishing what that culture is, you know, I think being a little bit firmer and I think to be fair, um, you know, there's a lot more administrative duties that, you know, goes on behind the scenes as a head coach. And it's one of those things you have to be able to handle it. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no way around it. And you have to be on top of it because if you don't handle those things, you know, none of the, uh, none of the fun stuff that goes on at each program is able to happen. So I think for me, I think letting go of some of more of the, um, maybe what, what, what you call it on court or things and, and just making sure that I'm on top of that administrative duties day to day. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. I, I can imagine as the head coach, it's like, you know what? Maybe I can't go to dinner with three of the guys because it's like, yep. oh, what about the rest of the guys who would be like, yo, you went to dinner with coach? That's a little weird. And so that's, <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you frame it like that. Like, absolutely. I bet that is one of the biggest shifts is now, you know, you're the guy who signs off on the lineup decisions. Yep. You're the guy who signs off on all of these different things. And, you know, to that point, you mentioned this a little bit earlier it was a slower start for your team this season. And then, you know, you flip the script at the end of March, you really start to get into Ivy League play. And it does feel like your guys have found their stride. You know, what about this group seems to be clicking so well here as we approach this final week of the regular season? Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think, um, you know, listen, if you look at our matches earlier in the year, whether we were winning or losing, we were really struggling in doubles, even though we had a top five, double, you know, as funny as it seems, we had a top five doubles team at, at number one in, in Zoo and Graziani. And we just were struggling to buy doubles points. You know, I was like just going out there and praying. And, you know, I think uh, to be fair, the guys have put in a lot of work. You know, we kind of retooled some of the teams and combinations and they've really bought into what we what we've been teaching here. Um, and I think starting with that, once they started to see what we're practicing happening in the matches and getting that buy-in from there all of a sudden we're like hey wait a second this there's something to the madness here and we kind of built from that i think and i think from there we've we've gotten a little bit more competitive and practice day to day i think mm-hmm. i think that's a huge huge thing um we just got a little tougher you know at, at the end of the day like you know college tennis especially once you get in conference i don't care where it is whether it's mid-major power five ivy those matches are a little different there's a little bit more on the line there's a little bit more pressure and it it's less about the forehands and backhands it's more about what do you have inside like you know you're going to face some adversity there's going to be some ups and downs who's going to punch back after they get punched you know are you going to kind of go away and i think credit to my guys you know they've done a really good job of kind of digging their heels in and and pushing back and you know, our, our only loss in the last eight matches is to Columbia on the road, four, three, seven, six in the third. And, you know, that was a hell of a match with Westfall and Zoo. I mean, the ball striking was absolutely incredible. And, you know, we found ourselves on the right side of one of those matches two days prior to that with Cornell winning four, three, seven, six in the third. So, you know, in, in 48 hours, I was probably part of two of the most exciting matches I've been a, been as, as a, as a coach, whether it's a head coach or assistant. And, one time, you know, we're jumping around. We're the happiest group of all time. And then, you know, the next time you see, you know, Columbia is, is mob in Westfall. But, you know, it, it was one of those moments. Um, and it's the first time I've had it in a while, like where I was like, we lost a 4-3 absolute heartbreaker. 
And yeah, I would have rather won, but man, I was like, it was an incredible college tennis match. I was so proud of the way Kevin Zhu battled in a hostile environment. And, you know, we, it's just a couple points here or there, but I couldn't have been prouder of the group. You know, it was one of those times you're coming away. You're gutted. I'm gutted for Kevin, but man, I was freaking proud of those guys. Yeah. Do you go up to Howie afterwards and go, you Howie. Just like a little. It was one of those. We went in for an embrace. It's like, you know, you know, that that (laughs) killed me, man. I'm going to do this, but I mean, I got to get away from you right away. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I love Howie too. It it was was good. It was a good, it was a good embrace. It was, it was one of those, we were, we were fiery during the match, but respectful. And then just a lot of respect for, for him and, and, and the guys of that program still really tight with a lot of those players and Mm -hmm. they've done a hell of a job and, you know, credit to them. You know, they, they came out on the right side of it. And I mean, you've seen how close these matches are in the Ivies this year, man. Those seven, six and the third four, three seem to just be a regular occurrence now. Yeah. And look, I mean, again, I, you're a little biased now, but when I look at the depth in the Ivy League and, you know, Columbia, Harvard are top 16 teams right now. That speaks yep. for itself. But even like Cornell's been top 35 really since Coach Bresky was there a decade ago and have sustained yep. that level. And, you know, obviously you mentioned the success you guys have had at Penn over the recent years. It's not that far removed 2018 where Dartmouth was earning a share yep. of the Ivy League title. And, of course, now you have Chris Drake over at Yale going from Dartmouth. And so the, the wealth continues to be spread out. And yet – Hovering over all of it as well is the fact that there was no Ivy League tennis in 2021. And like some of the guys, you know, again, it's to some extent because there's a lot of fifth years Ivy League tennis. Some scholars are arguing it's triple A until a power five school comes and calls you up (laughs) for that fifth year. And so all of that in mind, Rich, I ask you, talk to me about the level of Ivy League tennis and what it's like, not just academically, but athletically to go and try and pitch these four five stars, these international players. Hey, Penn tennis is a place where you can get better. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at it now. I think Ivy League tennis over the course of time has always had your top of the lineup players that can kind of play with anyone. I would say to me now, the depth within the league has just gotten so much better. You're not you're not an injury away on a lot of these teams from finding yourself at a hole at, at six singles. And I think, you know, you've seen across the board at all these programs, you're getting top level international guys, whether it's a Graziani, whether it's whether it's a Vonder Schoenberg, whether it's a Zhang at Columbia, whether it's a Popo at, at Cornell. You know, you're getting you're getting it at all these programs. Um, you know, my biggest thing when I'm talking with people about, um, you know, the Ivy League and I'll stay specific to when I was at Columbia and when now I'm at Penn. You know, I think a lot of people think of the Ivy League or Penn or Columbia in these places as, oh, really high level academics with OK tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, my thing is, well, why do you have to choose? Yeah, sure. Why can't we just be elite at the top level of tennis? And why can't we also just dominate in the classroom as well? I think my biggest thing is to people when I'm talking with them is I want someone who's just high achieving, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's very hard, at least in my mind, to be like, okay, in my tennis life or my academic life, I'm going to be the hardest working person. I'm going to get A's. I'm going to absolutely just outwork everybody. But then in this facet of my life, I'm just going to turn it off. And (laughs) I turn it off and on whenever I please. You know, so I think for my guys, I actually think when, you know, they're playing, whether it's futures or whether it's Ivy League matches or NCAA matches, I actually think it takes away some of the pressure because even though maybe their day to day is a little bit more 
packed, you know, packed with, you know, not as much free time, you know, we're getting out there for three hours a day. You're not, we're not losing time on the court. You may have a little bit more to do off the court, but I think it kind of helps to put their mind at ease because they know, Hey, listen, if I don't win this match, not that they're not competing to the best of their ability and they're not taking every point they can, but I think it kind of helps them relax a little bit because they know it's not the end all be all. And there is a backup plan. Now that's not to be confused with, Hey, you're not doing everything you can to win and you better, you better leave it all out there. But I do think it provides a level of calmness and, and reassuredness that, you know, you can kind of, it's not an make or break every single time they step on the court. No, it's fascinating perspective. And I've spoken with other coaches who have either had Ivy league players come into their programs or again, just around the circles. I'm curious about the fitness demands because that is something that comes up. And, you know, again, at USC, I'm sh- I-, I happened to go to one of their practices last fall and I got to run in the fitness and I was like, OK, if I'm doing this every day, I would be in shape. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to get that same amount of gym time, you know, a- a- with all of the off court commitments these student athletes have? Or is that maybe something that because that that's what I've heard is that might be the one thing that gets a little bit different? Yeah, I mean, look. I think you have to be a little bit more creative in how you sure. structure it in terms of working around people's schedules. So maybe you don't have the entire team lifting or doing strength work in a block of eight to 10 people. I think it's much more manageable to work around people's schedules and have maybe groups of two to four people. Now that may, in my mind, I would rather place the demand on the coaching staff of me and Stratton to make sure that we're having to do either multiple practices or individual schedule, you know, sessions and also us attending multiple strength sessions. Um, That's part of the deal. You know, we're going to be, you know, the way that I am is, you know, you ask my players or past players, like I'm super demanding, I'm all over you, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything that me and my assistant and my staff won't do. So I actually think, is it, is it as cookie cutter maybe at, at some of the bigger programs? No, I think sometimes you have to be a little bit creative and you work in smaller groups, but I actually think, you know, guys are getting team practices, they're getting individuals, they're getting their strength sessions. So I actually think it can kind of be a little bit better in ways because you're getting smaller group work, you're getting a little bit more focused. So, you know, like anything else, you know, you talk to anybody, the grass is always greener. <laughs> whether you're at whether you're at a power five in the SC, you know, SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, whatever it is. You know, I was there. I was at SC. The grass is always greener. You know, you know, you don't know what's going on. Everybody has their problems. Successful people on the court or whatever industry they're in find solutions to those problems. Everyone has a laundry list of problems. Find solution to their problems. That's what I tell my players on the court. And I think we've gotten better at finding solutions to the problems instead of saying why the problems are happening. No, I, I love to hear it. And, you know, you talked about the problem you guys were having with doubles a little bit earlier in the season. I'm just curious because I'm looking at the rankings right now. And you talk about, again, your team right now, I think, you know, you're right on the bubble. You know that. And yeah, we're weekend. defining the bubble. Right yeah, now. literally, if you were to define <laughs> bubble, you would see a photo of Rich Bonfiglio and, <laughs> and these Penn Quakers just right next to him. Um, another team on the bubble and this is a stupid thing, but I'm sure it's something you think about. Graziani and Zoo are 37 right now in Man. the doubles rankings. I'm sure if they got a win over Harvard, that might boost them into like right around the selection field or get close. Is that something you think about going into this weekend? And, you know, again, I know you guys are on the bubble. How excited are you to be able to host these final two matches, Harvard, Dartmouth, Saturday, Sunday? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's definitely something 
Here, I'll, I'll tell you. I actually mentioned it to them in a joking way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, hey, guys, you know, first two months of the season, you know, you guys were holding down the fort and, uh, you know, we couldn't buy a win at two and three. And now, you know, guys at two and three are saying, hey, maybe uh, maybe they're just a fall team. You know, maybe they're more, <laughs> they're, they're more of a fall, early spring team. Uh, but no, those it's, it's definitely something that, look, it's never the focus. I yeah. think you can't pretend it's not there. But I think, listen, Zoo and Graziani are gamers, I think. You know, they came through for us in, in a lot of these big matches against Columbia. They, they they took out a really, really good team in a hostile atmosphere. Um, you know, we had a little bit of trouble last weekend and some tricky matches and credit to those teams. But, um, you know, it's something you think about. But I think, listen, in all these big matches, we've leaned on those seniors in singles and in doubles. And I think those guys are going to be ready to go. I mean, listen, when we played Cornell, you know, we bought some free, you know, Cane's chicken and pizza. And it was the first time we had had a lot of fans out there, whether it was a soccer team, women's lacrosse. Um, it's our spring weekend coming this weekend. So we're going to have some concerts going on. I mean, we're, we're ready to pack the Hamlin tennis center. Our, you know, we've been, we've been pumping it on social media and uh, you know, we, we have the other athletic teams that have been talking about they're coming this weekend when they're walking out to soccer practice, they're like 1 PM we'll be there, baby. So, you know, we've, we've got a buzz around the program right now. You know, alums are really excited. They're coming down, you know, clearing their schedules for the weekend. Um, and listen, it's it, it could be the last weekend for these seniors at home against Harvard and 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 Dartmouth. And what a special way and opportunity to go out where you can kind of control your own destiny within the Ivy League and from an NCAA perspective. So at the end of the day, you know, I think we've done a good job as a team. And, and I'll give all the credit to the guys for having this last weekend mean something, you know, there's a little bit of extra juice coming in this weekend. You know, normally Monday, Tuesday, you might have to kind of light the fire a little bit. Now this week, everybody, everybody's going in, they're getting into the training room, they're hydrating, they're stretching extra, you know, everybody's rear red and ready to go. So, you know, I'm absolutely fired up for this weekend. And I know the boys are too. It's gotta be fun to have a buzz on campus. It's gotta be fun to just, yeah, get rocking and rolling in. This is a stupid rules nuance thing. And again, you got the job. Did you do anything with the scheduling or was this, did they say, here's your schedule this year? Sorry. You, you know, again, you're locked in. A little bit, you know, I'll, I'll be careful with how I do this. So I think yeah, I don't I, mean to be I, rude. It's changed, not an indictment I, of the past schedule. Yes, yeah. No, no. So um, I changed a little bit around, but I mean, most of the schedule was, was, was kind of put together. Um, you know, I, I think we hadn't really firmed up what we were going to do spring break. So I kind of, put that together last minute and, you know, um, Kex helped me out over at USD by letting, um, coach Shackley and myself play there and, and, and get a match in and UCLA helped us out. And so I made adjustments to that, but, you know, um, we were trying to scramble here at the end of the year to try to add some, add some matches. Exactly Um, what I was getting to. Is that something you pursued and error? Is that door shut? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I definitely pursued it. There's, there's still potential for, for one, depending on, on how things kind of play out. It's, it's a little trickier just because of how the, you know, the conference tournament schedule plays out. You got to get it in before then. And um, you know, listen, some teams tried to work with me. It was just kind of a logistically, we weren't able to make it work, but you know, look at the end of the day, like you said, uh, it, it's one of those things. It's never going to be a perfect situation. You know, we have a we have an opportunity to kind of find a solution to that quote unquote problem this weekend. We're on our home courts. You know, we're going to pack the house. I know I know I'm fired up. I'm going to be running around like a madman, bringing the heat, pumping the crowd, <laughs> too. You know, I'm not afraid to fire it up with the boys. So so we're we're ready to go. We've had some really good practices this week. And I know the guys are just eager to get going.
Yeah, no, I love to hear that. And I'm just anticipating, like, I'll see Coach Keckley on the schedule next year. I'm sure I'll see <laughs> Coach Macy. It'll be a nice little West Coast trip for the guys. And, yeah, oh, yeah. it's just, yeah, I'm sure sinking the teeth into the schedule. I don't want to say it's one of the fun things you're looking forward to this summer because I don't know what's, uh, you know, it's fun for us to nerd out yeah. with. But, yeah, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that will be enjoyable. And, again, talking about this group in particular, I know you have a bunch of seniors, but in terms of setting the foundation for what you want to do in the years moving forward, I know, you you know, again, it's it's tough when you're going to lose a bunch of starters, but you have sure. had some non-seniors contribute throughout the course of this oh, yeah. year. Talk to me again about the group of, you know, you, there are two Grazianis on this yeah. roster, let's be clear, <laughs> and multiple underclassmen who have contributed when called upon. How do you feel about those underclassmen here this season? Yeah, I mean, listen, Little Graziani's a firecracker. Muff, he's he's got a lot of energy. You know, he he's similar personality to me. You know, you got to kind of calm him down sometimes, keep him <laughs> keep him contained. But he's done an incredible job. He he has a team leading 15 wins in the dual match season. He's 15 and two. Baylor Sai had a great year last year, and he's starting to play better right now. He came through with two big wins against Yale and Brown for us this past weekend. You know, he. He had some really good wins in the juniors and he's been, a, you know, he's been a stalwart for us down at that bottom, you know, bottom spot at six, uh, Zach Lim, you know, he, uh, he's been a main contributor in doubles for us at number two, a big reason we've had success. And, you know, he picked up his first Ivy league singles win down there at number six against Brown in a, in a tough four court indoor facility. So he's starting to play some better ball. Um, you know, we have Keon, a guy, Keon Vakili from Florida, ton, a ton of racket talent. You know, he's, he's had some injury issues this year, but I'm excited. You know, we're starting to work with him again and I'm excited about him. Um, you know, we got Samir Gangoli, a local product who's kind of knocking on the door, Matt Rudder from, from, from Great Britain. So, you know, we have, you know, Tal Goodman from Canada. I could go on and on, you know, these guys, these guys have been putting in the work. They're part of the reason why we've started to see more success in singles and doubles because getting into that lineup, both in singles and doubles has been tough. You know, so I'm excited for for the younger crop. We have some good recruits coming in next year as well. Um, you know, some of them um, I didn't get a chance to recruit just because it was earlier in the process, and I was able to add some later on. So, you know, listen, like anything else, um, I'm excited to to dig into the recruiting landscape this summer and build upon this young core group. And uh, yeah, like I said, I you know I'm super happy with the decision and opportunity I made to come here to Penn. You know, I'm watching all my past teams and, and hoping for the best of them. I was pumped to see Lerner get eligible. Finally, what feels like forever, you know, <laughs> I was just happy for him. They've been him and coach Macy and the guys have gone through a lot. So I was happy to see him get out there. And like I said, you know, it's, it's almost that postseason time. You know, I feel like we're peaking at the right time. Let's, Let's do it, Quakers. Let's go, boys. No, absolutely. It's a massive weekend. We're excited to, again, follow all the results. And yeah, to your point, I think it's five five stars, uh, five, four, four, uh, five stars, according to Tennis Recruiting, committed uh, to uh, your team right now for yep. next season. So, yeah, that's decent. Uh, you know, some scholars would argue that's not the worst class for you to bring no. in as class number one. And, you know, I am curious not to talk about you, but let's talk about you. Um, you know, as someone who played at Middlebury, this is a tangent. Were you there when Andrew Thompson was there or is he a little yeah. older than you? Yeah, no, I know AT Detroit Country Day School. I know. I, yeah, you know, he's, exactly. he's one of my buddies. So you know, we're still we're still in touch now. He's the he's the head honcho up in Middlebury now. You know, he's running the show. Yeah. Did, again, are are you are you envious? He's a little older. That's your senior. You're like ah, you got the job. That was the one I was shooting for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be to be fair, AT, sure. I think of AT. He's like Mr. Middlebury. 
Yeah. You know, he he kind of defies he's he's a big outdoors guy. Yeah. I'm more of a city guy. So, you know, I think, listen, we both went our separate ways, but I feel like it worked out really well for both of us. Yeah, no, Andrew Thompson, he's like a, I mean, not to age us, he's like a decade older than me, but like he was the yeah. guy who, because shout out to Troy Country Day High School, there was always the Andrew Thompson stories and how good this guy was. And now he's over oh, at yeah. Middlebury. And, you know, that's who we were chasing in my time. But, you know, you're someone who played D3 tennis. And I'm, I'm just curious, you know, you played at Trinity as well. You, you got to see, you've gotten to see every corner of the yep. tennis world, which to me is fascinating. I'm curious how D3 tennis, that experience, you know, shaped your fondness for the sport and just what, you know, because I believe right away as you're getting your master's degree at Trinity, you are coaching as well. And so just talk to me about the D3 tennis life. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think similarly how like the Ivy league has kind of picked up over the last 10 years, you know, I think you're seeing the same thing in D3, right? Because it's the trickle down effect. You're kind of getting those guys that are fringe Ivy at some of these schools. Um, you know, I mean, I was one of those guys. I was like a five, you know, low end five star when I was coming out. And, um, you know, the, I think you really see who kind of loves the sport. You're not going to have the glitz and glam there. Now, listen, you have everything you need. You have your courts, you have dedicated coaches and you have good players surrounding you. You know, and like I said, like I've told my guys here and everywhere I've ever been, if you have a tennis court and you're willing to work and we have balls, we're fine. It doesn't mean you don't love the, you know, all the glitz and glam and the nice facilities and it doesn't make it easier, but you have everything you need. And I think, um, to be fair, I mean, I'm kind of a blue collar guy myself. I kind of, I try to run things that way, even whether I'm at SC, Columbia, Amherst, or here now at Penn, um, you know, listen, when guys are, when, when we deserve things, I'm, I'm willing to, willing to shell out for it, but I, I feel like I'm a guy you got, you got to earn it with a little bit. You got to earn the stripes and, um, you know, I think I kind of just found found a love for for the game in D three. You know, I was I was a hockey and tennis player growing up, so maybe that's where I get a little bit of the fire. Yeah. Shout out my New York Rangers up two zero on the Devil <laughs> in the first round. Here we go. Um, you know, but I think you know I found the love for the sport, and um, you know I ended up getting into coaching and getting my master's because initially I worked in a law firm. You know senior year, you know, going into senior year and I kind of had a job lined up and I did like the eight to 12 week internship. And I was like, man, that was a long eight to 12 weeks. I don't know how I can do this for a full year times 50, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not going to work out too well for me. Um, you know, and I, and I was fortunate, enough, you know, Paul Asiante, who I played for, um, at Trinity was like, listen, why don't you come back, help me out as my assistant. Um, you can get your master's, on public policy. And that's how I kind of got back into coaching. And, um, you know, I, I talked about it with him. I talked about it with Dave Schwartz, who I also played for at Middlebury. Um, you know, and I kind of, as I was getting my master's more as kind of like a, a placeholder, I was like, man, I, I love this. I love building the relationships with these guys. You know, I love getting on the court with them and developing and building that culture. And that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and I think, you know, when you're at some of these programs, maybe that aren't considered, you know, glitzy, glammy, have all the bells and whistles. I think you learn to do what's necessary. And I think it taught me the value of when you're going to a school, a lot of times or a program, you're investing in people, right? You're investing in the people at that university. You're investing in the coaching staff. You're investing in those teammates that you're going to be joining, you know? So for me, everywhere I've been has been awesome because I think the people at each of the institutions I've been at, have been absolutely awesome. Those that I worked with, those that supported me and those that I coached, you know, and I think 
any industry you go into, you know, and I, and I find it here, you know, find it in tennis too. The relationships are the key things Mm -hmm. that that's what kind of establishes the culture. That's what's going to matter. That's how you're going to kind of look back. Yeah. The wins and losses, of course, you want to win. You'd rather not lose, but the relationships and the stories are going to be what you look back on in 10 or 15 years when you're kind of sitting around the dinner table talking with your buddies. Mm-hmm. Well, to that end, and you know, this is part of, I've said it openly on the podcast before, I, I am a big believer in everything you're doing is, and I think this is a through line that connects both of us, and I apologize, I'm going to swear again. It just feels like you <laughs> love tennis. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you are just one of those guys who caught the itch for competing. And I don't know if it's a love of tennis or just a love of competition <laughs> that drives you back. But that, I guess that I don't know if that's a good question, but that's the question. Is it the competing? Because when I see you, I think first and foremost, that's what I see. It's just a guy who just loves to <laughs> win. <laughs> now, listen, that's that that does sum me up pretty well. Listen, I think. <laughs> I, I love to compete in anything I'm doing. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything we're doing, I want to put something on the line. Whether we're sitting at you know dinner with the guys, we'll compete a little bit to see who can kind of, whether it's eat, eating the food last or having a plank, whatever it is, we're always competing where I am. Um, and listen, I, I do love tennis. I am a tennis junkie. Like I'm following all the pro results, whether that means it's futures, futures qualities, you know, ITF juniors. I know what's going on or I feel like I do everywhere. You know, when I remember when I was at Columbia and, you know, Cotton's playing over in Tunisia, I'm waking up at 4am and just watching the live scoring, you know, I'm it's, it's ridiculous. Cause you're watching, you know, you're literally just watching the live scoring thing. It's not like you're watching the play or anything, but you know, I think players feel, feel that connection when, when their coaches are, are super invested in them. I think it, it helps build the relationship and when I'm, you know, chewing somebody out when they're not doing something, I think they're more willing to listen and and lay it on the line when they know that you would go, you know, run through a wall for them. But yeah, listen, I, I love competing. I love sports. I'm a tennis junkie. I'm a sports junkie and I love it. You know, it's a, it's one of those things like, you know, sometimes, you know, it's there's long days, but I absolutely love it. And I think that's something that kind of comes off and radiates for me in the recruiting process um, with parents and with players. And I think, you know, I'm pretty straightforward. I'm a, I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I'm from New York. Like you're, you know, you're either going to really like me or you're going to want to never see me again. And that's <laughs> fine. You know, that's just kind of the way I am. But I also think it helps when people get here because they're not surprised. It doesn't mean that I'm not complimenting the recruits during the recruiting process, but you know what you're dealing with. It's not a total culture shock. When you come in, you know, I'm going to be demanding. I'll do whatever I can for you. I'll run through a wall for you. But yeah, you're going to have someone that's that's up in your business most of the day. So you better be ready for that. No, it's again, it's uh, if I was playing and that's why I'm, I'm joking around with my younger brother. I'm like, we're going to train this summer. Your second semester, <laughs> senior year, you're going to be the 13th man on this pen team, Nick. I was like, I just need to know with the inside scoop uh, you're going to do on the ground reporting. But, you know, you talk about that competition and Again, these are some 30,000-foot view questions about college tennis before I let you go. It does feel that college tennis is just a platform where you can have that nasty streak. You can be animated in a way that you just can't in other levels of the sport. And, you know, again, as you talked about earlier, as you're trying to get people to come to these Harvard Dartmouth matches, as you're trying to build that atmosphere, that energy here at at Penn – What's your pitch to get, you know, what are you doing to go about to sell 
Penn Tennis to the rest of the campus? And how do we more broadly as a college tennis sport go about selling the product we have? Because those of us who are paying attention, very clear it's better than ever before. Yeah, I think to be fair, I think the product is awesome, right? First and foremost, I think a lot of times people come out to our matches. They came out to the match against Cornell. They're like, this is like, this is tennis. Like, this is is awesome. This is fun. You know, I think the biggest thing is finding a way to get them there one time. And I think, listen, you don't need to make it personal attacks on people. Right. But I do think you need to let the fans be involved. Like you need to let the fans be involved because there's no other sport where you don't have the fans getting on the away team, creating that home atmosphere. I'm sorry. Like it's it, it tennis is a better sport when the fans are engaged and you're going to grow the sport more. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, you know, I saw you guys talking about whether there should be trash talking or not. Yeah. Let it go. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as simple as yes or no. I do think there has to be some discretionary things, but I think the more energy, the more excitement there is around tennis, whether it's pro tennis or college tennis and you know, like anything else, when people start to identify with my, like now my players, they're going up and dabbing up the soccer guys. They're going to the women's lacrosse team. Like all of a sudden there's that natural bond between the programs and we're going out to matches. You know, I've been to, I went out to a women's lacrosse game where they just clinched the Ivy league title. You know, listen, it, it it's, it's contagious. You know, I think, I think you got to have the energy. You know, our first thing was, Hey, we're going to bring free food and drinks because who doesn't love free sh- yeah. you know? I excuse my language there, but you know, when I was in college and even now, if it's free, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, it could be a play on Friday night. If it's a free ticket and a drink, maybe I'll check it out one time. Maybe, you know, just to see what it's about. A hundred percent. You mentioned it. I know it's like spring fest or whatever at Penn. I was like, yeah. you go to the match at 12 at one chicken pizza. You sober up two hours of tennis, you're back out grinding. And I was like, you know, he turns 21, let's be clear. So he'll, he's good to go. Um, there we go. I yeah, that was going to be my next question for yeah, you. I know. Sure that we're doing everything above board. Exactly. 21 on April 25th. So I'll actually, and I meant to tell you this beforehand, I'm going to be at Penn next weekend. I'm going to be there in Philadelphia. So Come on down, man. Yeah, there's the heads up. So if you are planning a surprise final weekend of matches, I will be there, my friend. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, but no, I mean, again, more broadly with the sport, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier is it easier for you to sell things to international recruits now i mean i'm sure it helps to be like university of pennsylvania and they're like i've heard of that one and you're like yeah we've got the wharton school of business and academically i'm sure it's easy to sell pen but tennis wise have you found it easier to sell college tennis as a pathway as you've progressed through your career i think so i think so especially with the recent trends of how successful um, both on the men's and women's side, but I think especially on the men's side, you're seeing, um, you know, just a boatload of players and it, it's not just transitioning. It's at every single level. It's at the futures level. It's at the challenger level. It's at the 250 level. And then obviously all the way up to the grand slams, you know, I mean, I think, I think the hardest thing, I think it's, I think it's an easy sell. I think guys are having a more success than ever that they've had. And, you know, I think, for, for me here at Penn, I think a guy like Graziani and Zoo and Freak and Gupta, these guys having success, I think, you know, it, it it brings back the thoughts of when Pinsky and Boyum and all those guys were here before, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I think it's starting to kind of catch fire again. I know the alums are excited and I think, I think college tennis is a really good product. I think coaches that would shy away from it internationally before are more on board with it just because I think you're seeing the transitions. Ha- I think you're seeing a, 
a more smooth transition from whatever programs they're going to. Well, with that in mind, then, and again, 30,000-foot view, you are someone who has seen the game at every level. Obviously, you've dedicated your life to continuing to grow this game and continuing to develop athletes within it. For us to bring the sort of notoriety that we'd like college tennis to see, is it a product problem? Problem's the wrong connotation. But is it something we should be focusing on the product and making adjustments to that? Or do you think it's as simple as we just need to lock in on the marketing? And I know that's a little bit of a loaded question because I think you could hear my stance on where I am. But I'm curious if you're focused more on the product or the marketing in terms of growing the game moving forward. I think the products, I think the, I think the product's fine. I think, I think the product's good. I I think we, I think we need to market it. Um, But I also think like, to be fair, we need to be willing to make slight adjustments in order. Like it's not going to, you can't just be all or nothing. I think there's, there's gotta be some willingness on, on all sides to, to make adjustments, whether it's from a marketing perspective. Um, Like to me, I think the biggest thing is you got to get on TV. Yeah. Like we, we got to get on TV. I was watching the golf channel the other night. Not that I'm a huge, and I'm not a huge golf guy, but they were, you know, they were broadcasting a college, college golf, you know, event. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a match or a tournament, but listen, I don't know that much about it, but they made it super simple. The product was good. And I think, I think our product is better. I think we need to, we, we need to have, a, you know, just people have more access to it and see it on a wider a wider audience or just a bigger array of people. And if that means making slight adjustments to the product, I think we should, because I think at the end of the day, if we eventually don't reach more audiences or don't reach more people and get on TV, I I think we're doing ourselves a disservice because I think the product and the, and the, and the people in college tennis, the coaches, the players, I think they're better than ever. I think the personalities are awesome. I think think the rivalries with the no ad scoring, you're seeing it. There's four threes every single match and it's exciting and we just need to find a way to get it out there yeah I couldn't agree with you more is it better or more stressful you guys have lost one 4-0 match this year like by which by the way is really impressive but at the same time I feel like as a coach and I forget who I was texting with it was someone uh, some coach oh I'm not going to say this coach's name but they've (laughs) had a particularly stressful season this year like just so many 4-3 matches and I was like I don't know how you have any hair left like this is just ridiculous (laughs) to watch yeah I, I do to your point like I don't think the product's the issue. I do yeah. think no ad is good. I think we've gotten matches. Like, if it's over three hours, it's because you don't want to leave your seats. Like, it's for yeah. all third set. At that point, you're like, I can stay another 20 minutes or whatever it 100%. may be. And so I agree with you there. I do wonder, like, because we've done a lot of broadcasting here at Cracked Rackets, I like, as someone with undiagnosed ADD, I love the fact that I can just go court one. You know, I'm bored with this. Let's go to court yeah. four. I'm bored with this. Let's go to six. At the same time, is it too much? Like, because it is a lot. And if you, my biggest concern, I know I'm editorializing here. When I go to a college match with someone who isn't inclined to know what's going on in a tennis match, they get a little confused where they're like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, but he won on two. So didn't, didn't, I'm just going to use this. Didn't Michigan win? Yeah. And it's like, no, like, cause there's four other matches going on right now as well. Is it too confusing or can we streamline it and make it understandable? I think we can, I think we can streamline it. You know, I, I, I do. I, I think too, I think it's okay for people to not have a full understanding of it the first time around. Yeah. I think they just need to be excited. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> sure. like, right. Like my international guys have never seen lacrosse. 
Yeah. But hey, it's a pretty exciting product. So let's check it out. You know, yeah. like it's like anything else. I think, yeah, eventually they have to be able to understand it, but I don't think it's too, too confusing. Um, I just think we need to, we need to get more people to these, to these matches. And you see it, you know, at places like Georgia and whatnot, like it's an incredible atmosphere. Everybody wants to be part of that. And I think, I think it starts with just getting more people there. I think at a place like Penn, where there hasn't been a lot of people coming to matches, getting other athletes there. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really do. I think it's start, you got to start small and you just build, just yeah. keep on building. No, I was talking to Abby Forbes for a pod that'll come out either before or after this one. And she was talking about her, she's in business school now and like yeah. her MBA friends come and they're like, this is her word. She's like, we did not expect this from a women's tennis match. And she's yeah. like, yeah, I told you. Like I, I get very, yeah, it's like once in, you're in there. In a positive manner. Like it's, it's awesome. Like I, it is. 100%. It's awesome. Yeah. And I read a study once of non-revenue sports. Tennis has the highest retention rate. If you can get a fan in the door, they will come back. Yeah. And that's the key, obviously. And, you know, again, last three questions for you here. You mentioned Athens. Should that just be the home of the NCAAs every year? I think, I think it's an incredible atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely is when, when Georgia's good, that's a huge, huge, huge home court advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if maybe if you gave me some buy-in with like, it's guaranteed to be on TV, yeah, stuff like that, I'm, I'm willing to concede if, if it's better for the whole sport, I, you know, can't deny that's an incredible atmosphere. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a proponent of eventually having it where, it's in one spot. And I don't know if it should be on a college camp. I don't know that if it should be on a college campus or one said spot, but if you want to build a championship the way that baseball has done theirs and other sports have done theirs, I think it's got to be in one spot so you can build a community that kind of rallies around it as well. No, that's the thing is like Athens gets 3000 people, right? That's the case for it is it's just, you know, and they know how to be tennis fans. That's sure. the other thing is it's like that's and it's not always easy to be a college tennis fan. Sure. Uh, similarly, individuals moving to the fall. What was your reaction to that? Me personally? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, probably, you know, I, I kind of like things the way they were, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and the re the reason I say it is because I think, uh, and I don't know if everyone does, but I, I view, especially coming in now mid-year, I feel like l- looking forward to the fall, I'm so excited to use that as a developmental period. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, we can't play tournaments and we're not guys won't play futures or college events or whatnot, but I really feel like that can be used as a huge, huge development time in people's lives coming from, you know, ideally your players are playing whether it's pro money tournaments, UTRs over the summer, I think that's a huge, huge kind of foundation building period for people where they can make jumps. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's right or wrong, you know, like I'm not sitting here saying like, you know, <laughs> sure. down with everything. So I don't want it. I don't want it to come off in a condemning way. That's just my personal feeling. I also think you're going to, you know, you're going to maybe lose some guys because I don't know how there's going to be, you know, with freshmen coming in, yeah, sure. um, you know, some some players where okay like if they want to play pro events are we just are we just kind of i don't know i feel like you maybe lose some players like that and again i don't know that's just my opinion i don't know if it's right i don't know if it's wrong you know i'm 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 open to hear arguments both ways but that was my initial reaction no i i think that's completely fair and you know this is my final question that i wanted to ask you this past summer you got to be the national coach and you got to travel around and do all that what was that like? Like, talk to me about that experience because that must have been a good time. Yeah, 
That was awesome. You know, it was, it was really cool for me. I got to go around to a ton of the futures and challenger level events. Um, also with the U the U S open, um, you know, I got, I got to go there for the qualifying and then the juniors round as well. Um, I worked with Mario Rincon, who was awesome from Louisville, you know, him and I joke around now he, he's a really good guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dean Goldfine was awesome. You know, he's, he's traveling around with Ben Shelton now, but the guy couldn't have been more supportive of me. And, um, you know, he helped me out when I was going to tournaments and things like that. Um, I really enjoyed it building relationships with the players, you know, you know, I think Steph was probably sick of me by the end of the, the summer, you know, he had the whole spring with me and then, you know, I'm all over him every day and, and we're going to each of the events together, but you know, we got super close and he had a really good summer. Mm -hmm. Sam Riffis was awesome. Um, you know, Murphy Cassone, Maloney, your, your guy Maloney was there some <laughs> yeah. for the playoff. I had a good time with him. He's a New York guy who grew up playing where I played out of. So yeah. I like that guy a lot. Um, you know, Cannon Kingsley, you know, we had a, we had a ton of guys out there. Cotson came down for a bit, you know, he had the broken wrist going there cause he fell. So it was, it was, it was a good time. Um, but no, I think, I, I think that's a really cool idea. I know, I know they used to be even more invested in it. Um, you know, I know there used to be a specific division for collegiate tennis within, within the USDA. So I, I thought it was really cool. I think you want those players working together. And I think they're, you know, you're not, you're never going to overstep your boundaries in that, right? Like I think with a lot of those guys, my approach with besides Steph, who I was working with regularly, Hey, I can either be just a fly on the wall. I can just be clapping in the stands. I can do scouting reports. I can feed you balls. You tell me what you want. It's <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm not trying to show you that I can do X, Y, and Z. And I think um, it helped me build the relationship with those players and kind of them being able to use me as an asset versus me kind of coming in there and stepping on their toes and making it more confusing. So I really, I thought that was awesome. I got to meet a ton of people within the USDA that were super, super friendly and super supportive of me the whole summer. And even when I've gone down there now to recruit, you know, they, you know, they're, they're, they're coming over and giving me more than just a dab, which is fun. Um, but no, awesome, awesome experience. Um, and I would recommend it to anybody. I thought, I thought it was one of those things you got to be willing to travel and grind. But if you love it, you're going to love that experience. And they do a good job with it. I love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, yes, from you mentioned my guy Maloney, not just him. Everyone rave reviews about, again, that whole summer experience. I'm just hoping we get those shadow wildcard events on television as well. Because, like, who doesn't want to watch that tennis? So, you know, you hear. Yeah, about the I'll tell you. you listen, the, the, there was some there was some fire and drama in those matches. That's I mean, what I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to release the details because, you know, that's for that's for another time. But there was <laughs> there was some fireworks and drama and everything was resolved. But that would have been well, let's put it this way. It would have been it would have been good to have have a stream there and and get that going. You know, it would have gotten some eyeballs and, and, and some good reviews. To your point, we're not going to reveal the names. I heard I heard <laughs> about the drama. I was like, how are we not going to show that? I was like, and if worst comes to worst, we're getting dinner at Boxy Park no matter what, which is like, there you the go. Hidden, I was going to say it's a win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hidden gem in Lake Nona that actually is like the bow on, that puts it all together and makes it such an enjoyable place to be. Well, with all that said, here's the clip for social for you. Harvard Saturday, Dartmouth Sunday, make the pitch to Penn Nation, college tennis fans in the broader Philly area. Why should they come out this weekend? What can they expect from these Penn Quakers down the season's home stretch? Yeah. Well, listen, four and one in the Ivies, NCAA bubble team, Ivy League co-championship on the line. If we can go 2-0, and oh, you're going to get a fiery group. You're going to get a fiery coaching staff. 
free canes, free pizza, free drinks. Come on down. It's spring weekend. We got the alums coming back. The guys are going to be going up into the stands high-fiving. What more could you ask for on a Saturday and Sunday? That is exactly the pitch I was looking for. And, yeah, I didn't even think about that. If you guys beat Harford and you beat Dartmouth, it's a three-way tie for the Ivy League title. So, absolutely, the title is still on the line. That's why you're the head coach. You think about it from every <laughs> angle, Rich. And- that's the sales, man. That's the sales. You know, I don't. Again, I don't. I don't. That's what someone told me. I'm going to pitch it to the to the best of my ability. So, come on down. <laughs> I love it. No, that's perfect. And again, on a personal note, I, I know I've mentioned this on the shows, but. It's very clear. You talk to anyone in college tennis, you see the success you have had at every stop around, around the along the way. You are one of the rising coaches in the Division One men's college tennis ranks, and I do think college tennis is in very good hands with coaches like you and so many other young, inspiring head coaches across the country. So, Rich, thank you for all you do, uh, obviously, for college tennis. Thank you for tolerating all of our nonsense here at Crack Rackets <laughs> over the years as well. And as you know, there is always an open spot for you on this podcast. I am looking forward to hopefully seeing you in person next weekend. Absolutely, man. Yeah, listen, like I said, big fan. Thanks so much for what you do for college tennis. I'm glued to the podcast every week. I'm waiting for him to come out. So I'm I'm, I'm super pumped that I was able to join. And uh, yeah, you know, thanks to all my mentors out there. You know, I didn't turn out so bad. And uh, go Quakers. <laughs> yeah, go Quakers. I love it. Thank you so much, coach. Good luck this weekend. All right. Take it easy, man. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Penn men's tennis head coach Rich Bonfiglio. A massive thank you to Coach again for taking the time to chat with us. And sincerely, if you are in the broader Philly area, be sure to go check out these final two matches of the regular season. Ivy League title at play. Uh, of course, it's going to be tie top 50 level college tennis, top 35 level college tennis in Penn versus Harvard, Penn versus Dartmouth. You won't want to miss out on any of the action. I told my younger brother, if he wants to remain my younger brother, he will be at both of those matches as well. So if you see a guy with eyebrows that looks sneakily suspicious or looks sneakily like my own, yeah, that's my younger brother, Nick. He will be at those matches. If it's good enough for Nicholas Gruskin, it's good enough for you folks. So be sure to go support Coach Bonfiglio, these Penn Quakers, as they try to make a push towards the 2023 NCAA tournament. Or by the way, maybe you're a Harvard fan. Maybe you're a Dartmouth fan. Go support the Crimson. Go support, I think Dartmouth's just the green. Very creative in their uh, in their name and their uh, mascots, I should say, uh, over in that Ivy League. But again, Go support the Quakers. That is creative. Go, of course, support Coach Bonfiglio, who we know will do a tremendous job building this program at Penn. And again, who we were so excited to have on the show here today. Of course, it's not the only interview we've been excited about of late. We've had so many fantastic guests across our podcast, whether you need ATP, WTA updates, Challenger updates, college updates, you name it. We've got them for you here at Cracked Rackets. You can find all of our podcasts over on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, 
Mr. Daniel Westoff for the f of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A massive shout out again as well to our friends at Turner. Remember, you can support Turner by buying their products wherever you get your tennis supplies. And simply put, once you turn to a Turner grip, you will never use anything else. A massive thank you to our friends at Turner for their support of this show. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, Penn's men's tennis head coach, Rich Bonfiglio, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.